welcome to this week's episode of Everything Under the Sun, a weekly podcast answering all the most pressing questions children around the world have about life on Earth. My name is Molly and today we're going into the Natural History Museum in London. We're going to explore their very special exhibition called Life in the Dark. The show is all about animals that like to go out and about in the dark or in dark places on Earth. Some are nocturnal, so come out at night, like owls, foxes, frogs and badgers, eye-eyes and giant anteaters. Others live in caves, like bats and fish, and others in deep, dark parts of the ocean, where the sun never shines. Turn your torches on and come with me as we venture into life in the dark. Along the way, we will bump into scientists who work at the museum, who will answer the questions you've sent into the show using their expert knowledge. Our first stop is a wood at night, lit only by the moon, is filled with animals that sleep in the day and come out at night. Our first question is about owls and is from Etienne. Here he is. Hello, I'm Etienne and I'm from Brighton and my interests are bananas, animal life, and Lego. My question is, what is the biggest species of owl ever known to mankind? Hi, Etienne. Well, the biggest owl in the world is called Blackiston's fish owl. Its wingspan is two metres long and it has a body the size of a small child. It can weigh over four and a half kilograms, about the same as a cat. They're found in Russia, North Korea, China and Japan, where they live in holes in big trees, usually near rivers and streams. They're very rare, shy and not very well studied. There are probably around a thousand to two and a half thousand adults left in the world. Next up in terms of size is the European eagle owl. However, you might have been thinking about length, in which case the longest owl is the great grey owl, also known as phantom of the north, spectral owl, lapland owl, spruce owl, bearded owl and sooty owl. It's got really, really fluffy feathers though. Its body doesn't weigh very much, but it wins the longest owl awards because it has a very long tail, making it measure about 83 centimetres long, including the tail. The largest owl to have ever lived was the ground-dwelling giant Cuban owl. It looked like a giant turkey and was over a metre tall with big claws, small wings, and went running after prey on long, powerful legs. It became extinct over 10,000 years ago. Today, the smallest owls are the elf owl and the least pygmy owl. They're about the size of a sparrow. I hope that answers your question, Etienne. Our next question comes from Douglas in California. It's also about owls. Hi, Molly. My name is Douglas. I live in California and I am four and a half years old. I like robots. My question is, why do owls turn their heads all the way around? Hi Douglas, thanks for sending me your great question. Well, like you noticed, owls can swivel their heads. But why do they do it? Well, it's because their eyes are tubular shaped, like telescopes, rather than spherical like our eyeballs. This tube-shaped eye helps them to see really well, much better than we can. 
but it means they can't roll their eyeballs around like we do to look in different directions. Instead, they have to move their whole head if they want to look in a different direction. It's amazing that owls are able to do this, quickly spin their heads around. We humans couldn't do what owls do without really damaging our head and necks. Owls have got big holes in the bones of their neck that have little air bubbles inside that make cushions for their blood vessels to softly rub up against as they turn their heads so that they don't damage themselves as they swivel their heads around. Isn't that clever that their necks are specially made just for owls so they can turn their heads around to see in different directions, whereas we humans can roll our eyes left and right and up and down. Try it now. An owl couldn't do that, so it needs to turn its head. There's lots of extra info about owls in the Life in the Dark exhibition, such as barn owls have heart-shaped faces to direct sound towards their ears. One ear is higher than the other to help them work out exactly where sound is coming from. My favourite owl fact is that Florence Nightingale used to have a pet owl which she called Athena, which she rescued from the Parthenon in Greece after she saw it falling out of its nest. She kept her baby owl in her pocket and fed it when it was hungry and she tried to teach it to curtsy. Owls don't really like being pets and the World Owl Trust said that although Harry Potter kept his Hedwig in a cage, really snowy owls just like to be outdoors with lots of space. I hope that answers your question, Douglas. Last week I asked you to send in your impressions of owls hooting. I got lots of lovely owls. These three are my favourite. Hi, my name is Heidi and I'm five years old. I live in Glasgow and here's my owl impression. Hello, I'm Alan and this is my owl. and I'm eight years old and I live in Glasgow and I like lots of different animals. I'm going to do my best owl impression. I think Arlo deserves a huge well done for being so clever as to do an owl impression aged only one. But I do think one is a little bit small to go ice skating this year so we'll wait for another year or two. So to announce the winners, they are Heidi and Martha. Congratulations, Heidi and Martha. You've won tickets to go ice skating at the Natural History Museum in London. Have an amazing time and don't forget to send me a picture. Did you know that when you hear that twit-twoo sound of a tawny owl, it's most likely to be a pair of owls making the sound? The female going, twit? and the male calling out hoo-hoo. Finally, a group of owls is called a parliament because a group of them is supposedly wise. I think maybe owls are wiser than politicians. Next, we're venturing into the bat cave with Roberto. He's a curator of mammals at the Natural History Museum and he's going to answer a question from Cammy. Hi, Cammy. Hi, I'm Cammy and I'm nine years old and I live in Bristol. I like netball, cats and nail varnish. Quick question, why are bats blind? 
to answer Camille's question, we have Roberto. Hi Camille, thank you for your very interesting question about vision in bats. But before I try to answer that, let me introduce myself. My name is Roberto and I work at the Natural History Museum in London. I am curator of mammals, which means that I look after the collections the museum has of animals such as whales, monkeys, rats and many others, including bats. So going back to your question, are bats actually blind? The simple answer is not. All bats got beautiful eyes and just like us, they use them to see the world around them. I guess you ask this question because of the popular phrase, blind as a bat. I don't know who came up with this phrase, but it is completely wrong and totally undeserved. Some bats have very tiny eyes, but they still use them to see. Some bats, like fruit bats, actually have really large eyes. They do need to see where they are, so they can avoid obstacles and identify the trees which have fruits on them. These bats also have color vision, which is as useful to them as it is to us. Most insect-eating bats, also known as microbats, on the other hand have small eyes and can only see in black and white. However, even these bats use their eyesight for avoiding objects and finding their way across the landscape. Even though not as well developed as the fruit bat's eyesight, their vision is particularly sensitive to low-light conditions. And that's because even on the darkest night, there's still some light around and all bats use this. Most bats are mainly active at night and their senses have evolved so they can make the most of this period of the day. In fact, it is the combination of all their fantastic array of senses that helps them to determine where they are going, to avoid obstacles and to catch food. One of their most famous senses is echolocation, which the majority of bat species have. Echolocation works like a sonar although it works a thousand times better than a man-made sonar. The bat produces a high-frequency sound and then listens for the echo that bounces back when it hits an object. This happens in a fraction of a second, but the bat also has the mental ability to process this information very quickly. This helps the bat build a more complex and informative picture of its immediate surroundings. Their echolocation combined with their vision, their hearing, and the sense of smell, helps bats master and understand their habitat in greater depth than we could ever dream of. So in conclusion, bats are not blind, and if anything, they perceive the world better than we do. I hope you find this uh, answer informative and useful. Thank you. Thanks, Roberto. Well, isn't that interesting? Bats aren't actually blind. They have lovely eyes and can see very well, thank you. Did you know batology is the study of brambles? And the world's smallest bat is the bumblebee bat. It weighs just a little bit more than a one penny piece. I hope that answers your question, Gabby. Next, we're diving underwater with James, the fish curator from the Natural History Museum. He answered a question in the very first episode of Everything Under the Sun. It was about hammerhead sharks. Now James is back to answer a question from Isabel. Here she is. My name is Isabel. I'm eight. I like art, sport and reading. My question is, are any fish nocturnal? Thanks, Isabel. Over to James. 
Hi, Isabel. Yes, there are loads of nocturnal fish. If you were to go swimming at night around the coral reef, you would still see lots of fish, but they would be very different to the ones you would see during the day. Coral reef fish that are active during the day, what we call diurnal instead of nocturnal, are usually covered in bright colours which show up in the sunshine. But nighttime reef fish are often mostly one colour, like orange or red, which is less obvious at night, and they have much bigger eyes to help them see in the dark. A good example of this is the long-spined squirrel fish, which is orange and has eyes more than three times as big as a diurnal fish of similar body size. There are also a lot of fish that live hundreds of metres down in the deep sea during the day, but then they come up to the surface at night to feed on the small animals that live there. It's safer for them to do this because then they won't be eaten by the predators that need light to see their prey, like seabirds. I think my favourite nocturnal fish is the midshipmen. They bury themselves in the sand during the day but come out at night and then something very funny happens. The male fish sing to the female fish by making a really loud humming noise. This can be so loud that it can be heard above the water by people living nearby. It sounds a bit like this. I hope that answers your question. James, I like your impression of a singing fish that comes out at night. I hope that answers your question, Isabel. You can find out lots about nocturnal fish and fish that live in the deep parts of the ocean in the show Life in the Dark at the Natural History Museum. There are creatures that drift in the dark that can make their own light called bioluminescence to stun prey, to find prey, to scare away other creatures that want to eat them, or just to talk to one another in the dark of the deep sea. The last room of the exhibition is filled with specimens of fish that live in parts of the ocean where the sun cannot reach. Go and have a look to see football fish that flash light to attract food to eat. A viper fish with the biggest teeth relative to its body of any fish in the sea. Vampire squid and the cookie cutter shark which bites things it eats in chunks shaped like cookies. If you'd like to win tickets to the show to see all of these things we've chatted about in the podcast, the Natural History Museum are giving away two adult tickets to the show and children go free. So if you'd like to win tickets for your family, all you have to do is tell me your favourite thing you've ever seen in a museum. Just record yourself telling me about your favourite thing in a museum and send it in to me at molly at everythingunderthesun.co.uk. Right, that's it for this week. Huge thanks to Etienne Douglas, Cami and Isabel for this week's questions and Roberta and James from the wonderful Natural History Museum in London for all the answers. Thank you to Arlo, Martha and Heidi for your owl impressions. Have a great time ice skating at the museum. Huge thanks to Ash and Sam at the museum for the tickets and for helping with this week's episode. A big thank you to Ash Gardner at House of Strange for the theme song and Audio Networks for all the lovely incidental music we use this week. Remember, one lucky winner who sends in the best thing they've ever seen in a museum will get family tickets to Life in the Dark. If you want to send in your fact, a question or anything you like, record yourself on an adult's phone asking the question or telling the fact and ask an adult to send it in to me at molly at everythingunderthesun.co.uk or there's lots of info on the show's website everythingunderthesun.co.uk I'll be back next week answering more questions from children around the world in another episode of Everything Under The Sun Thank you and goodbye Goodbye